0: to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, with Father Sean, my esteemed companion and colleague in Christ. We are drinking <laughs> Lagunitas uh, Brewing Company, which I found in my little uh, apartment next to my office, and we don't know how old this beer is but well it's definitely expired but (laughs) it tastes okay (laughs) we're just doing it anyways so i was updating father sean about the um, saga of the week which you heard about on the podcast that was recorded with father (laughs) uh, jacob machado on tuesday uh we are living like refugees is that a tom petty song don't want to live like a refugee i wouldn't know you're the wrong generation wrong generation Ask father mike (laughs) yeah father mike okay this is the other news of the week father mike rap is in i believe he's either flying to or he's in tempe arizona right now is that this weekend because he's doing an iron man that's insane. on saturday yeah so he's not drinking expired beer right now <laughs> well knowing mike he probably is he's the sneaky super athlete he is he doesn't tell anybody he trains like crazy yeah he does it all very quiet. He's probably got really crappy shoes and like a board <laughs> shorts. He probably just looks like a total idiot, and he's gonna crush it. So
1: it's it was about um, I don't know eight miles or something from the companion's house to Our Lady of Lords. So on his training runs, he would run from the companion's houses, which is where he lives, down to Lords, and then get like a snack at our rectory, and then turn around and go back. But it was like midweek. It was like on a Thursday. We're like in the middle of a staff meeting in comes father mike like all
0: sweaty and like breathing hard and he's just like hey do you guys have any water i can have <laughs> and i'm like don't you work <laughs> love it love it yep well so we'll see well by the time this comes out we'll have a sense for how did it go i have a feeling he's going to get it done but it is a it is a uh, an iron man is insane it is insane. i mean we do crazy things i mean a century ride a month is insane a century ride a month <laughs> is insane which you are 11 down one to go a marathon is insane to do yeah. them together though 2.6 mile swim 110 mile ride yeah. 26.2 run yeah insane that is insane that little awkward poly poly bleaker <laughs> body is gonna go through the ringer on saturday morning but he's gonna get it done and he's apparently good. he's swimming in uh, tempe town lake which the intel from local guys like max rich who are from tempe are like <laughs> it's disgusting. disgusting yeah why they make them swim in that lake i don't know
1: well it's the only lake in arizona it has to be, right? It's the middle of the desert.
0: Yeah, that might be true. yeah
1: or, Unless you do like a pool, like I don't know, ASU has to have an Olympic size pool or something, but yeah it's just too many people, I bet.
0: Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything else to share? Any anything dramatic in your life this week? Or are you this is gonna come out on Thanksgiving no, after Thanksgiving. You're gonna be on retreat mm-hmm. starting into Advent. Yeah, going up to Patrice Corday, which will be great. Um
1: Life updates, I don't know, just been chilling at the parish, good things are happening. Uh, we had a beautiful night um, of what we call cl- cultura, where we always have a string quartet, and this year we had a four-voice quartet as well, so a scola cantorum with the four-string quartet. Carrie Floyd gave some excellent talks throughout the night, uh, just on reflections of what sacred art and music looks like, um, specifically with regards to Eucharistic hymns, the Eucharistic revival. So um, Panis Angelicus, a couple different movements of that. Um, yeah, uh, hymns by Aquinas, um, the O Salutaris, the Tanti Mergo, they di- did and uh, just really, really powerful and good stuff. I I don't listen to classical music as much as I should, but when I do, I really do enjoy it.
0: How much should you listen to classical music?
1: Well, when you're competing with Gregory Allen Isakov, it's kind of hard to, I don't know. uh, I mean, my pastor, Father Brian, he listens to it like daily. Every time I'm in the office, he's
0: just blasting it from his office. That's all I hear. So you do listen to it a lot, actually, just secondhand. Touche. It's like secondhand smoke. It's worse for you. (laughs) Do you Uh, listen to classical music a lot? Not as much as I should. Uh. I just think it's a funny thing, like how much ought we to listen to it, you know? Mm i think i get your point um you know i'm i'm like the opposite i i love music so you you and i do too mostly listening to isaac style stuff but then like you know i do a peloton ride and i get Lipa stuck in my head for the next five days and so it's like oh geez so that'd be like father rap style that's right that's right well that's good well I hope you uh, have a very restful and blessed retreat Patras Court is one of our favorite places in the state right now these beautiful hermitages we've talked about it those of you who have listened to the podcast have heard John and Ashley Ryan their story uh, and they're great friends so are you going up with other guys or just you just me uh,
1: just the way it worked out this year with uh, my pastor going on sabbatical I figured I better get my retreat done when I can good thinking Um, so just me but I'll be hanging out with them um, on the what do you call that, the first end and the tail end of retreat and just spend some time with the Ryan. So
0: Fantastic. All right, let's jump into the topic here. This Great. is a, a little dicey one. Those little, are the best. A little shake and bake today. Love it. This uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, not really, actually. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of ours last night who's a therapist, and she said to me, you really should think about doing something on helping people think about pope francis because there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of anxiety this in the brilliant. church right now yeah and uh and she said it'd be really helpful and so i'm grateful to her feminine genius as always um thinking about these things but especially with strickland being removed mm. um which was a rather unprecedented act uh to see a bishop removed right a man who embodied and was was kind of iconic for some as the orthodox kind of solid traditional church mm-hmm. and being persecuted um i don't really want to go into that i will say i don't think it's that simple i don't think he's a martyr i don't think he's a hero um i think that he was a, a good man who loved the church but also had some made some really stupid decisions yeah and uh, I also don't agree with uh, the unilateral, just kind of remove a guy and make him look like a fool on the world stage. Sure. Yeah, that so makes I, sense. I don't like any of this It all. It's the, it's all this kind of logic of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, but that for many people, this is kind of the final straw of like, yeah. you know, um, this is just the, the last of many of the assaults of Francis and his boys. Uh, uh, attacking the American kind of conservative Catholic church. This is actually great timing because last night
1: after RCA, I got this guy who came up to me who, who's in RCA. He's a Protestant, but he's wrestling with, do I join the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church? And he's like, the Orthodox Church has way better liturgy than the Catholic Church, the, you know, kind of the divine liturgy. So he's been down to the Greek cathedral here in Denver and whatnot. Uh, but he said his, his tension is like, why would I follow a pope who speaks out on different things? Who speaks out on um, climate change and all these different things? And it just really made me think, like, yeah, how do I address this? How do I talk to him? How do I um, think about this? And I told him, like, keep keep coming to RCA, keep thinking about it. Uh, I don't think. I mean, I, I do think it's better to be in a church that has a supreme pontiff. But what do you do when the pontiff? Is maybe hard to to love right now, or or hard to see as a supreme pontiff? That's
0: great. Um, that's the kind of guy this is written for. Sorry to step away. I can't drink this beer; it's bad. I'm you don't di- like it? I'm drinking some bourbon. Do you want some? Yeah, maybe you can I'll take have some. a sip of mine later. Right. I'm gonna sleep through Holy Hour right after this. I'm toast. <laughs> it's gonna be a little meditation on with Jesus in the tomb. Do you have Holy Hour tonight? I have not prayed a Holy Hour yet because oh, I had gotcha. mass with the Missionaries of Charity this morning. Nice. So. Um, yeah, th- this is exactly the question we have to be asking, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I want to give uh, some—this is Nepple, uh working out of some ideas here, um, but we need to uh, we need to really think deeply about these things, and it's forcing us to ask the question of what is the papacy, mm-hmm. and what is the church in the world? So it's, there's, there's a whole ecclesiological question, right. and we can't just sit back on the laurels of a saint a la John Paul II—
1: and before him, right? It's right. like the last Paul the sixth, 100 years, John 23rd, Pius the
0: tenth. Yeah, I mean, it's just we've had, we had, um, and Father Joseph Fessio was sitting in that chair a couple of days ago. I was interviewing mm-hmm. him, and he's like, I've lived through seven popes. Wow. And he's like, These are really, we've had really good ones. Yeah. Um, this one now is complicated. Yeah. It's a complicated moment. It is. And we have to have the confidence to at least give the principles to help people articulate so that they can find Jesus in the midst of the confusion Correct. and not be filled with anxiety and fear. Right. That's the hope. I also
1: think uh, it's a modern-day problem in the sense that if the Pope said something dumb in an airplane interview, or i.e. Uh, walking along the Tiber interview, it would never have been broadcasted across the world because technology is so new. Like, right. <clears throat> printing press came out in the 15th century. I don't know what that looked like with regards to newspapers, but one of the big challenges with the printing press was oh no, now everyone's opinion is going out there. And it took, a, I don't know, 100 years or whatever for that to kind of get settled. And now the big thing with social media is like, now everyone's opinion is going everywhere. And how do we get back to like, whose opinion is worth discerning? Whose opinion do we worth, is worth listening to, et cetera. But the Pope does these off-the-cuff remarks on an airplane and then it gets broadcasted literally the next day, immediately uh, across the whole world. And it's like, is this really the best way?
0: Yeah, that's it. So there's a worldwide kind of uh, yeah. There's we've kind of magnified technologically magnified the 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 papacy in a way that um, yeah you said it better than I can right now just like that every single word he says uh, we feel obligated to take as magisterial and then also we have to as we call it Pope splaining in the companions and we need to stop Pope splaining yeah. We need to stop making apologies and kind of glossing over things. We need to take it as it is, with sobriety, as men of the tradition, right. in humility and charity, but also honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're getting to. Right. We've lost... An example of this is in the last 10 years, which is correspondent to this papacy, and it's not directly caused by it, but certainly is connected. We've lost 1,000 seminarians. We're down 1,000 seminarians in the United States. Since? Since 10 years ago. Really? since. Wow since Pope Francis started. Okay, Again, so 2013. There are a num- there are a number yeah. of uh, a number of reasons why that, but there are no men that I know of who attribute their vocation to the influence and, and the witness of Pope Francis. Right. And, and is is that just Diocesan seminaries or that really Diocesan life? seminary there was 4000 10 years ago, now okay. there's 3000. 25% Gone, yeah. And do you think that's partly because men are
1: entering religious life, and and Franciscans, Jesuits, or whatever? Or do you think that's just kind of across the board? I think
0: generally there's a there's a everybody's feeling this crunch. Yeah, Yeah. I see that as well. Um, But that's just to say that like when I went to seminary, uh, John Paul II was the pope. Right, Ratzinger was his aide de camp. Mm -hmm. Charles Chaput was the uh, Archbishop of Denver. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I was just like these are the men that I want to follow into battle, and I went to seminary, and somehow God, that God provided that they accepted me. Yeah, and that that was the world that I grew up in, and you were you were right there in yeah. it too. You know, at Cabrini at the time, but we were, the we looked to the top of the church and we said, this is the inspiration that I desire, and and we felt encouraged, and we felt inspired, and we felt strengthened, and it was this kind of heroic call, but. It gave us the false sense that this is what the holiness of the church is—is mm. is great holy men Leader. who pick great holy men to be bishops, and that's how we're going to be called up and up and up. Yeah. And that's just not—that's not how holiness is structured in the church. Right. And Pope Francis is breaking that for us. Yeah. So um, I love it. This is a delicate
1: topic. One, maybe two, two comments to to add before you dive into your note notepad. There. Um, one comment would be. This has always been dear to my heart because I was ordained a deacon on the feast of the chair of St. Peter, February 22nd. And so I've always just felt like this call to be faithful to the papacy in a particular way. I think that's just like the Lord's story for me in, in choosing that, allowing that to be uh, the day I was ordained a deacon, chosen to, to make that first promise of celibacy, uh, promise of obedience to the church, et cetera. Uh, second point, this is a little bit off topic, but the traditional reason to take a pilgrimage to Rome... Uh, were to see three things: one, the face cloth that was wiped um, uh, to Jesus, so to see that face cloth, the, the serviette, I think is what it's called. Uh, the second reason was, of course, to venerate the tombs of Peter and Paul, and the third reason, traditionally, to take a pilgrimage to Rome is to see the face of the Pope in person, which is really fascinating to think about because up until what a hundred years ago, we had no—the best image of the Pope we had was a painting, which would not have been. Like massively re, reprinted in in a way, and so it's not until recently where you can see the Pope everywhere, right, live TV, et cetera, um, and so there's something about uh, looking at the Pope in person that no one really gets to do uh, when yeah. you go and visit him when you go and see him, when you go and make that pilgrimage to Rome
0: yeah, and I think that, that that's that remains the um, you know one of the essential reasons for pilgrimage to Rome. What this podcast is going to propose and presupposes is Catholic faith, Mm. which means that um, it is about acknowledging full-on the holiness of the office of the successors of Peter, Mm -hmm. but that does not necessarily correspond with subjective holiness, and that's what we're going to kind of break down and talk about. Awesome. Okay, so I was thinking about uh, what to draw from today. So I first went to, and the inspiration of this, and this all happened this morning, Instead of prepping for my class, I was working on this uh, because I was really interested by it. St. Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises has rules for thinking uh, with the church, is what he calls it. Rules for thinking with the church. Um, And there's 18 rules, and he lays them out. And um, they're very much so St. Ignatius, so they're about Mm -hmm. praising, serving God uh, in the Word. But his first one is very clear. All judgment laid aside, we ought to have our mind ready and prompt to obey in all the true spouse of Christ, our Lord, which is our Holy Mother, the, the Church, hierarchical. Mm. So the first rule of St. Ignatius, uh, which all of the other ones are going to follow, is to the promptness to obey the spouse of Christ, which is the Church, which is our Mother and hierarchical. Mm-hmm. So he talks about our Holy Mother, the Church, hierarchical. It doesn't say you obey only the Pope and the bishops. Mm-hmm. But it does talk about the hierarchical structure of the Church, yep. of Holy Mother Church, mm-hmm. is uh, intrinsic to that. So we're going to kind of come back to this in a bit. But uh, this is kind of presuppositional to the rules I'm going to give, is to the foundation, which is that uh, we have minds ready and, uh, and prompt to obey the spouse of Christ, which is the Church, which is, an, uh, which is a mystery of communion that God supernaturally establishes. It's the sacrament of Christ uh, and it is his body and his bride, and it is holy and immaculate, as Saint Paul says. Mm. So the church is not just a bunch of sinners, sociologically constructed, who are politically motivated, either to be conservative or progressive. This <laughs> right. is not. This is not how it works. Right. It's not. That we're not seeing the collapse of a hierarchy that's now becoming democratic now since Vatican II. This is not what it is. There are people talking like this, but this is not what the church is in her essence. And we have to remember that. And that's what Ignatius is talking about when he says. Our readiness to obey is to the church, yeah. in her maternity, but also in her hierarchy, yeah. and that's that's the key. Yeah, yeah,
1: I love that, and I think that's absolutely right. I agree. It is tricky, as you mentioned earlier. We're in a, in a tough spot, and I think that what naturally flows from this, and hopefully, you get to this. But what do I do when church hierarchy comes and says or? you know, either omit something from the truth or says to follow something that is untruthful, right? How do I obey them in that? And I think that's where a lot of people are struggling now is like, it seems like the biggest issue for Pope Francis is, um, uh, the environment and, um, global warming. And it's like, is that really the biggest issue? Like, why, why do I have to recycle? Like, why does that matter when, uh, people are being murdered
0: in the womb, you know? Right. Uh, that's just because you're uh, cassock-wearing, <laughs> backwards-thinking, conservative American, young American priest who probably is shopping at Gamarelli in Rome yes, right now. That's, that's right. why you think that. Yeah. Because you're you're just brainwashed. No, I, I'm going to say this about the environment real quick. I, and um, I've been reading Chap a lot. Larry Chap is is the I think the best theological interpreter of what's going on right now. But he's he gets fired up. Um, I I found a book called The Foundations of Nature: The Metaphysics of Gift in in an in an adequate uh theology or what is it ecological something mm-hmm. it's basically about taking francis's ecology his and and, a, and really drawing it into a deeper metaphysical understanding of creation it's amazing michael dominic taylor's his name it's a very Great. theological book it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible there's a book on green Thomism by my old professor, The Joyful Mystery. Yeah. So this environment stuff is actually pretty interesting. Everybody's bored with Laudato Si, whatever. <laughs> and I understand that this is not the, pri- the, the priority he's going to Dubai because it's the whole kind of you know, environmental thing. Um, but we have, to, we have to kind of take the good out of these things and that because we're, it, we're, we're firmly grounded in the tradition of the church, mm. we know what the church is. Correct. We know what the deposit of faith is. We say, yeah, this is good. But for whatever reason, this is not the most important thing. Right. Um, and we, we have to kind of depoliticize politicize things and kind of come back into it. So I have good news for you. I know you're sad and confused because you're, you're a phlegmatic <laughs> melancholic and yes. more melancholic than you realize. But I have good news for you. Let's hear it. In the year 1980, Hans Urs von Balthasar wrote a book that is freaking unbelievable, and I picked it off the shelf today and reread it this morning, or parts of it this morning. A Short Primer for Unsettled Laymen. Yes. Have you read this? I have not. You must read this. Okay. I, I'm, I scrapped my, the last part of my Intro to Theology course, and I was like, you're reading this. But I'm not an unsettled layman. You're an unsettled cleric, <laughs> clearly. You're an unsettled melancholic. This book is Balthazar writing, 1980, um, and it's a 130-page it's a book, and it's it's him presenting theological ideas and the state of things, but helping us navigate it, and it's absolutely magnificent. Mm-hmm. And I've taken a couple of my favorite insights of his and organized them into five rules. Awesome. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Number one, true obedience is critical. True criticism is obedient. Mm. All right. So I was thinking about this because our friend said, how do we be obedient and critical of the Pope? And I looked at the book and I said, oh, look at that. Balthazar has a chapter called Critical (laughs) Obedience. We think of obedience, the obedience of a corpse. Mm. Like you just do what you're told. If the Pope says it's going to snow today and it's sunny, it's like, well... Uh, it's going to snow today, or if the Pope says green is blue, then we have to believe green is blue. This is not how Catholics think. That's also totally irrational and ridiculous to make that suggestion. But you don't have to agree intellectually with a superior in order to be obedient. Correct. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. You can't say things like, Pope Francis isn't the Pope, Vatican II is invalid. You do that, you just went off the cliff. Right. Right. So you can't go off the cliff. You can't say... I don't think he's the Pope. But you can be critical, and you have. but you have to know why are you saying that. Are you saying that because of your own political stance or because of his perceived ideology or what you've heard in the media? Mm-hmm. I was talking to these high school girls, and they're like, well, Pope, and of course it's all about morality, and I freaking hate talking about moral theology. <laughs> I was like, can we talk about the Trinity? And they're like, well, Pope Francis says that we can bless you know gay, gay marriages. Right. And I was like, did he say that? Did he actually say that? Where did you read that? Of course they haven't read it. Right. They just heard that yeah. from somebody. They didn't even see it. They just heard it from somebody in somewhere in the kind of technological echo chambers that they, that they inhabit. TikTok. Yeah. So what is the purpose of the papacy? Unify through clarification. Mm. The Pope provides unity by clarity. Yeah. If you don't think Pope Francis is doing that, he's still the Pope. He still has an office, and he has an authority, and God is using him. Mm-hmm. He might be not doing that well, and you can think that yep. and be obedient to him. That's a, that's something I think people need to be free to say. How you exercise that. Mm-hmm. If you meet a family and you realize these kids are out of control in this house, mm-hmm. you're bad parents, are you going to tell them you're bad parents? Are you going to get up at the pulpit and be like, these people are really bad parents? <laughs> are you going to start a blog and a podcast and be like, these people are just. I got to tell you about this family, like the Lynch family. They are just. <laughs> the kids are out of control. The parents are just uh, in the sauna all the time. This is my sibling, so I make your fun of brother-in-law. Um, you're not going to publicly mock them because mm-hmm. they're family, right? You might you might say this is this is my judgment. This is my critique because criticism is not talking smack about people it's not being negative Croesus means to make a judgment mm-hmm. so if you know what the definition of a pope is which is to uni- to cre- to create unity through clarification mm-hmm. and pope francis creates disunity and confusion by muddying the waters correct yeah then you're making an honest and sober judgment what you do with that judgment is dictated by charity and yep. if you violate that then you're accountable to god right yeah absolutely but
1: I don't know. I yeah. You're you're confusing me a little bit here cuz um So, we have to uh, I don't have to agree intellectually with a superior. Uh but I still have to follow him in a certain sense. And so, how do I follow Pope Francis or any superior who might muddy the water, who might uh confuse, who might bring disunity as opposed to unity? How do I follow them and and are you saying follow them in the sense of respecting their office, respecting
0: their authority, or is there more that I need to do to follow them and to be obedient to them? I would say our obedience is to the truth of Christ, which is revealed to us in the fullness of the Catholic faith and handed on in the church. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the hierarchy is to facilitate that handing on. It's instrumental. Yeah, The hierarchy's job is to do that. If I... If, if you're making sourdough bread and you're like, I'm going to give sourdough bread to all your seminarians, mm-hmm. I'm going to hand on the patrimony of this great sourdough, what do they call it? The the yeast or whatever. No, but the starter. The starter, yeah. I've got the secret to the starter from Panera, and I'm going to yes. hand this thing on, and I'm going to teach all your guys, and you you stink at it, and mm-hmm. they don't get it. Then I'm going to be like, you, you were bad at handing that on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the starter itself, the, mm-hmm. the sourdough, is is you're changing it, and you're like, now this is going to be a rye bread or right. something like that. You can't do that. Yeah. You can't make that happen. So the 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 bishop is the one who faithfully hands on the deposit of faith, which is the tradition. Yep. So what does the Catholic have to do? The Catholic has to live in the deposit of faith in the tradition. Because Balthazar says at the beginning of this book, the the fundamental thing that needs to happen right now in the post conciliar chaos of the world is to, is we need to rediscover the fullness of faith in its unity, and it needs to be experienced anew. Mm. The fullness of faith in its unity, experienced anew. Yeah. It, it has to be experienced in a new way, but it's the faith. It's not about, I need Pope Francis to speak clearly and make good bishops' decisions so that I can have a real Catholic faith. Mm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And you can say, what well, does matter, it, it bothers me. Well, I'm sorry it bothers you. You should probably get off the social, social media. Yeah. I brought this to the attention of seminarians this morning. They didn't even know about Bishop Strickland. Really? Really? No, because they live in a cave, which is amazing. Yeah, It's like Plato's cave. That's where they are. They're just looking at the shadows that I kind of create (laughs) on the wall. Pros no cons to that, yeah. No, I don't don't need them. I don't need them on social media. I don't want them looking at it. No, but they they could be up to date with, at least somewhat up to date with current events, right? I know. I, I think that I want to shelter them from... This. That's fair. That's but fair. every homeschool mom who's out there on the blogs every day and i want to say to, are you looking more are you studying the tradition more than you're keeping up on church politics mm-hmm. if if so if, if your primary kind of information download each day is blogs and social media about the church you need to stop doing that and you read augustine's confessions mm-hmm. just put it down yeah talk to somebody figure it out on the way all right yeah. so this is going to be hard to get through these. You got to keep an eye on the time for me, but okay. I want to. I want to offer two quotes on Bolzard before we move here. He Great. says, "Sorry, what's this point again? Point number one." This point is, um, oh, where is it? I mixed them all up. Um, Clarity and or uh, criticizing obedience. Yeah, we're going to run out of we're going to run out of time. So um, true obedience is critical. Okay, true. Gotcha. Cri- true criticism is obedient. The Christian laity's sense of faith, the census fidelium, must always be alert. It must become restless. For example, when something is proclaimed in a sermon that does not correspond to the creed or the canon of the liturgy. So, what is what is happening within people right now? The census fidelium is awakening up, which is something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. Now we have to separate that from Pope Francis hates the neocon American project. He's made that very clear, mm-hmm. and he's he's basically a. Uh, maligned our whole country with like this is what we all are we're neocons who only care about abortion right and we don't care about the poor mm-hmm. um that's coming out of his own baggage and his own frankly dysfunctional formation after the council and it's not fair it's unjust we have to suffer that all right but the census fidelium says uh eh, something's not right here um because the census fide is not you, i just wrote on this in gaudium et Spes 22 larry chap posted a nice thing for me but it's it's The census fide, the sense of the faithful is not about, um, we get to decide and democratize what is true. It's like a watch. Like I want to know what time it is. I look at my watch. Mm -hmm. I consult the watch. That's the census fide to be the church says, what time is it? What's going on right now? And people are awakening saying something is not right here in Germany. Mm -hmm. It needs to be dealt with. Right. Something is wrong in, in all of these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, Paul just makes that point, just like, stay alert and be attentive to that. Yeah. And then it's just a beautiful line, because they're all beautiful from VB. Today, the people of God thirst for spiritual drink in a world that is ever more secularized and emptied. They want to find teachers of silence, of recollection, of prayer, and instead they find busy clerics, busy clerics, (laughs) pointing to Father Sean, and often religious who have gotten stuck in post-conciliar confusions and anti-authoritarian disputes, endlessly Mm. struggling for their own identity. For this reason, many depart and seek what they have a right to to in places where they cannot find it, from teachers of Eastern meditation who may be able to give them a psychological comfort, but never the encounter with the living and loving God of Jesus Christ. Mm. People are leaving the church because of the confusion and the empty, the vacuous nature of our preaching. Mm. All right, that's number one. What time is it? 29. Oh, my goodness. All right, number two. Who is your magisterium? Or I should say the rule is remember your magisterium. And the reason I bring this up is because there are competing magisteriums right now. Right. The main two wings here are the magisterium of James Martin mm-hmm. and the magisterium of what I'll call the Technotradies. I thought you were going to give a name. Yeah, Taylor Marshall. Okay, that's what I was going to say too. And I'll say it explicitly. There is no merit and benefit to listening to Taylor Marshall. Yeah. He used to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame him because Pope Francis has radicalized and made cynical great Catholic minds. He's poisoned great Catholic minds, and right. Taylor Marshall is one of them. I remember back in the day reading his, what he was doing yeah. before, at the beginning of the Francis pontificate. And through, you, you give a guy enough suspicion, you give him a little popularity, and then he runs for president, and all of a sudden, the combination of ego and confusion, and you start saying crazy things, right, yeah, and the magisterium the point is
1: remember your magi- remember the magisterium, who the magisterium is, as opposed to like I take what uh, Taylor Marshall says or um, James Martin, and I take that and i may I say this is truth, this is where the church needs to go, this is where the church is going, as opposed to thinking in line with
0: holy Mother church and church hierarchical right i'm really happy I have whiskey for this conversation. this is like the bourbon talk, but uh so I'm interested in that. I think there's a, there's a magisterium online. It's the Tradies, And it's like, people, stop. Stop. Yeah. Figure out who the reliable sources are and stick to them. Right. The pillar is the best journalistic source in the church that I know of in the United States. Agreed. They yeah. are friends of ours. They're clear thinking. They're balanced. They're faithful. Read the pillar. Yep. Don't read other news sources. And then who is the best interpreter of the times I think larry chap Gaudi 20s mm-hmm. twenty two our buddy figure out who that is yeah. but you got to find the right people who are who are authentically Catholic and who are not going to extremes and if you don't know
1: uh and you can't if if you don't if you struggle to understand, maybe Larry Chap or someone uh, that you like, uh, ask a priest. Ask a priest if, like, you you come across someone you really like, like, ask your pastor. Hey, is this a good fit? Ask right. us. Email us. Like, we're happy to give our input there.
0: Absolutely, there are there are really good, thoughtful people out there um, who are doing a lot of work and a lot of writing on these things. But we have to be listening to the right people. I would just add one.
1: Thought there, if I can. Uh, it's not just the magisterium of Taylor Marshall and James Martin. I think there's actually a third, uh, which is the magisterium of the exorcist. Yes. Right thank now, you. I was right? going to say that. Um, which is these people who are just like, well, th- my exorcist that I heard, or this person said this, like, I need to have the traditional baptism because it has three exorcisms in it as opposed to what this new Novus Ordo baptism has, right? And then we go back and thinking, like, more trad, more better. Uh, there's more genuflections in the trad mass, therefore it's better. Uh, and that's just not accurate. That's not helpful. And just because the nexorcist says it uh, isn't the magisterium, isn't the truth. Like, what's the mind of the church right now? What's the mind of, of um, the magisterium leading us? Oh, I love it. Right and on. And the magisterium
0: is what interprets scripture and tradition. Forgive the rant. I'm going to continue this, but... I had dinner with some friends recently. These are good friends. And these are really These are great Catholics. But they were obviously in an anxious place because it was right on Halloween. And they were told by the exorcist, this magisterium of the exorcist, that witches curse Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. All right? So the candy's all cursed. So now the kids are eating cursed candy and it's putting curses on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can do this is that you got to bless it with holy water. But it can't be any holy water, yeah. Father Sean. Epiphany. Not your holy water. Yeah. It's got to be extraordinary latin rite with the special salt on the feast of the epiphany because that's the only one that can undo curses let's insert father brian larkin here get him going on this topic we (laughs) lose our minds every night it's insane it's insane we and these guys people are listening to them and it's causing it's causing a lot of problems right like right here in our local church Mm -hmm. so be careful be careful what you feed your heart and your mind with and ask yourself who is your magisterium? Mm-hmm. Is it the magisterium of the exorcists who are, who are supernaturalizing everything? Because exorcists always sensationalize. Right. I don't blame them. If I was in hand-to-hand combat with demons all day, I'd be. I'd be. We'd be sitting having beers and telling crazy stories. Totally. And that's why yeah. I'd be a terrible exorcist. And the magisterium of the technotradies of the the godless progressive left, like, just it's over. Mm-hmm. Okay, it doesn't bear any good. Balthasar has two chapters on the office of unity, which we already kind of hit on, and then authority. And I just want to make one point about the authority of the Magisterium. What is authority? Because mm. authority, with hierarchy, these, these words are tossed out. Mm-hmm. So this is all bad. And Balthasar says this, "...in Christ, nature and behavior coincide. He is the Son of God and behaves as such. He speaks with and acts with divine power and authority, never merely to rule but to serve." even where he shows himself as ruler to help others. And then Balthasar says, actoritas comes from agere to further something in its growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, authority. The, the etymology of authority is to help something grow. Mm-hmm. That's what authority does. The authority of a father is not this kind of patriarchal imposition on the woman and the children. It's to help the child flourish Mm, that's really beautiful the the authority that you have as a priest Mm -hmm. with faculties in the archdiocese or me as the vice rector is to help growth it's like fertilizer Mm. that's what authority should be it helps things to grow we put water on soil yeah like we help things grow which is why the authority right a good priest a good
1: father doesn't point to himself a priest isn't about cult of personality he's about go to christ i'm just watering the the seeds here watering the soil so that christ can do the
0: rest of the work right so the crazy thing about the Catholic Church, which is a historical fact, is that God establishes his own authority in broken men, mm. in apostles. Yep. So the authority of Jesus is established hierarchically in the Apostolic College, and that's handed on through the succession of the apostles in the bishops. Now, you're teaching RCA, so you know authority is a big hang-up for people. It is, yeah. One of the things that we need to note, too, is that Um, he says, Balthazar writes this, the objective holiness of ecclesial authority demands a corresponding subjective holiness in order to reveal its true being. So because authority comes from Christ, Mm -hmm. it carries an objective holiness to it. That's why when people call you Father Sean, they expect you to be holy, Mm. right? And if you do stupid things, uh, then they're going to be like, it's a countersign, right? Because you carry the office of Christ. You are supposed to be Christ. You carry his authority when you speak. But this is a very interesting insight. The objective holiness of ecclesial authority, of your office, of the papacy, whatever, demands a corresponding subjective holiness in order to reveal its true being. Mm. So, holiness, and this is why people hate and think that we're all um, hypocrites, which we are in some ways. Mm. But if we're not holy, subjectively holy, as priests or as popes, then we are a countersign against the objective holiness of the office that we have received. Mm. We talk about minding, mind the gap all the time, right? Yeah. Mind the gap, as you hear when you get on the, on the tube in England. The right? underground. All right, got to keep moving. How much time are we at? We are at 36. Okay, we're okay. All right, number three. This one I take from Larry Chap, but we're going to tie into Balthazar. Number three, reject the binary... Mm -hmm. Even if the Pope doesn't. All right. Reject the binary. This is the third rule for thinking about the Pope. Reject the binary even if the Pope doesn't. What is the binary? From the beginning of Chap's book, I talk to you like you're my student. Yeah, what is the binary? Uh, Traditionalism. What did he say? Traditionalism and Uh, progressivism. progressivism. Okay. Traditionalism and progressivism. It, the fact that it's either or, you're either a tradie or you're a progressive. Uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, so you're so the binary
1: the, being that there's only two options. There's two options. That you can either be progressive or you can be a tradie, but mm-hmm. there's no other option. You got to right. be one of the two. Right. And God knows that we're not going to be um, progressive because we don't want to follow the the James Martins of the world. So right. therefore, the only thing left is to be rad trads. Right. Right. That's it. Yep. So reject the binary.
0: Reject the That's binary. That's not what we want. We don't want that. So I, I was uh, um, telling the guys, they, they hear me say this all the time, um, traditionalism and progressivism, when you, when you set that chessboard and you're like, we're going to play on this board, what you're doing is you're setting a modern framework overlaying the truth of the faith, mm-hmm. which that is not, that doesn't make any sense. And an example of that, like true people, true Christians who know themselves, like Fessio, who I interviewed, who's gonna, this is gonna come out a couple weeks later, who's kind of a wild, wild character. But Fessio only says the Novus Ordo in Latin. He basically demanded to do it ad orientum in our chapel, which I told him no because the rector's out of town and he would kill me. Right. Uh, But I'm like, sure, I'm all about it. Which he ends his homily by saying, you men need to rise up and turn this chapel to the east. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. Um, but Fessio also said, "Delubach, Ratzinger, and von Balthasar, who he knew personally, mm. are going to be in a hundred years doctors of the church, like the Cappadocians of the fourth century." Wow, that is a powerful prophetic. So, how word. do you where do you put Joe Fessio in a box? He likes von Balthasar, who's the arch heretic of the Vatican II era, according right. to whoever. And then, but he's trady, quote unquote, in terms of how he does liturgy. Yeah. He's a man of the tradition. Mm. He's also his own man, right? And it shows that finding yourself in Christ leads to this. It, it explodes the boxes, you know. And and hopefully that's the experience. And so I just think reject the binary of progressivism and traditionalism. What I love, it's like what was Balthazar thinking about in 1980? The same things. Mm. He literally talks about progressivism. Because it is post-Vatican too. And he talks about traditionalism right. in this book. Yeah. He's he's talking about the situation we're in. I'm mm. like, this is crazy. Yeah. All right, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think um, what, what Chap will go on in, in that book that we read for Summer Conference, right, is uh, if there's progressivism, if it's the binary of progressivism and traditionalism, what do we do? We go to the middle. We, we perfectly kind of try to... Uh, Squeeze in the middle there and say, I want to love the church where she is today. Not where she was 50 years ago, not she will, where she will hypothetically be in 50 years, uh, but where she is today. That's loving your bride. That's loving the church. That's uh, loving where she is today, which means uh, we read the, the right thinkers today, right? So Chap's point is like, read, read the Mont thinkers, those who after Vatican II or even the 20th century, even before Vatican II were saying, love the church where she is today. Yeah. Um, and that's what Chap's doing. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to love the church. This is the project of the Companions, not to be uh, progressive, not to be trad, trads, but to love the church
0: now, where she is now. We freaking love you, Larry Chap. He used to listen, and now he's too popular. I, yeah. don't, think, I don't think he listens to we, We've made him popular. We made him. We're the reason you made it, Larry. Uh, listen to this line from Ratzing or from uh, Von Balthazar. Trad- this sums up what you were just saying. Traditionalism bases itself on forms that rest on no living theology and philosophy and can for this reason claim no convincing validity today Mm. they only convince those who are in the echo chamber of the radical traditionalist position and i tell my guys all the time when i say traditionalist i'm not talking about guys who like cassocks and like latin right i've got really normal healthy great guys Mm -hmm. who love chant and who love latin Mm -hmm. it's not the problem the problem is when you ideologically appropriate it because you have a weak identity, so you grasp for externals, and you, wanna, you don't want to live in reality because it's messy and scary out there, mm-hmm. and so you run and pretend like you read the people who say thought ended in the, in the 13th century and liturgy ended in the 16th century, right? and that's where I'm going to live. right? That's traditionalism. But really, it has no convincing validity today, mm-hmm. and that's why we reject it as part of the binary. Mm. All right. Progressivism. Balthazar. Balthazar. The paradox of what is called progressivism is, in the course of the realization of the Enlightenment, has hereby become evident. It consists in the regression behind the correlation of the contents and the act of faith. So basically, what progressivism is is the conquest of the Enlightenment over Catholic thinking. Hmm. What is the Enlightenment? It's this kind of secularized, rationalistic approach to the world, which separate uh, which separates all these different. And he talks about um, liberalism here, enlightened and rationalists. And then he quotes First uh, John, which is interesting. He says, Every progressive who does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God because he dissolves Christ. And he quotes the Greek here for his translation. That's First John chapter 4. Every progressive, pro-agon, who does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God because he dissolves Christ. Hmm. So this is the other side of the binary, which is uh, a much larger swath of, of the catholic world i think the traditionalist thing bothers us more it agitates us more because it's our friends right because they leave your parish right because you don't have what do you call those stupid things (laughs) communion patents or nailers patents (laughs) because your stupid pastor is obstinate about arbitrary things like patents right i caught a host on a patent recently and i was like these are helpful yeah but for whatever reason he's not gonna do it no we're not gonna do it okay we're just talking smack now at this point so all right we got two more to go ready Let's finish it off. What's the timing? 43. Okay, this is, uh, this is more kind of positive now. Okay, so when we think as Catholics, this is point number four, to think as a Catholic means to think as a Catholic. holos means in the Greek? Katolos, according to the whole. According to the whole. I'm so proud of my former <laughs> students. I never taught you that. You learned that. But katolos means according to the whole. So if you want to think rightly about Francis Pope Francis, you've got to think about him according to the whole. Mm. And Balthazar says this, only the whole is the name of this chapter in uh, The Unsubtle Layman. It remains incomparable only if the figure of Jesus Christ is not cut into pieces. Mm. Cunning pretext for inventing, for breaking away various parts from this figure here and there. But the more fragmentary and supposedly plausible the figure becomes, the more unintelligible it becomes in reality. Mm. We have to ask ourselves, is the way that I'm living out my spiritual life and thinking theologically fragmenting the faith? Have I isolated the Petrine and become obsessed with the, the political dimension of the hierarchy or whatever, the humanity of it? Are you thinking kataholone? Are you thinking in light of the whole? That's yeah. the question. And part of it is we naturally limit to things that we want to control and obsess yeah. over, and we get our friends and we talk about this. Um, and we have to constantly keep moving backwards, kind of moving out to the whole. hmm and I think that this is Balthazar's whole thing. The fullness of faith needs to be experienced in its unity, in its unity. And we've lost a sense of unity. Mm-hmm. We've obsessed ourselves. We've we've equated the Petrine with the church, that the pope is the church. He's the CEO. He runs the show. He redetermines what doctrine is, and he's really scary because he's saying ambiguous things and putting the wrong people in power. Right. So that freaks us out and causes anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to say, no. To, to be a Catholic, to think about this as a Catholic, according to the whole, is to say, Petrine office is essential to the life of the church. It's really important. Yeah, It's really central, but it's not the church. Right.
1: Yeah, and, and studying this in RCA right now, the, the connection scripturally here, of course, is uh, David is king, but David appoints a prime minister. Uh, That prime minister is meant to be seen like the Pope. Jesus is king, right? Kingdom. He comes as Messiah, which means Christ, which means king in a certain sense. Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews as he was crucified as with a crown of thorns. Uh, And he has to appoint a prime minister when he's gone to run his kingdom, and who's the prime minister? It's the Pope, right? So it's very scriptural. Isaiah, um, yeah, Isaiah chapter 22, all the way to Matthew 16, uh, the image of the keys of the kingdom. Uh, that's where the papacy comes from. It, it has a history. It has a, a historical context in the Old Testament. It's fitting. It makes sense. And uh, that's where it fits in the wholeness of the story of salvation, his, uh, salvation history.
0: Well, said. what's the Hebrew again? I forget. It's like all Arbait or something like that. All I think it I'll is bite. the Al-Bayit. al in the Ghibera. In the Ghibera. That's right. We're going to go there. That's our last one is the Ghibera. Um, but al bait the Old Testament prefigurement of the prime minister of the king. This is what Peter is. That's, that's really well said. And I think it's really helpful. Jesus Christ is the shepherd of the Catholic Church. Mm. He's the head of the church, of the body. Jesus, right. not Pope Francis. And I know it's scary and hard because the Pope has to make concrete the authority of Christ in the world, and he is papa, we call him that he's our he's our father mm-hmm. um and it doesn't feel very fatherly sometimes when you're a young Catholic and you're faithful it feel in America it feels like a lot of shame and a lot of confusion and you know a lot of frustration that comes from it yeah. and uh we're not going to condone that um, but we have to say. What is God doing in the midst of a Francis pontificate, mm-hmm. which is making a mess? He's making a mess. He said he was going to make a mess. This isn't slander. He actually planned to make a mess. What is God doing? I think he's calling us to dig deeper into the heart of the church and to trust more profoundly mm-hmm. in, in Christ, who is the body, who is the head of the body and the bridegroom to the bride. So it doesn't nullify or... or downplay the the hierarchy but to my last point which is going to sound just odd nauseum to you, you're you gonna be like shocker <laughs> mary is the church yep and the church is mary which means that mary is comprehensively the church which envelops the apostolic office which is a service and a function within the life of the church yep. but peter is not the church peter is not when the church is founded in the incarnation peter is not there when the church is uh, more deeply founded in the redemption, he's not there. He flees. Mary is the one who draws him back. Mm. And to imagine that moment when he has to come back to the cross after he's betrayed Christ. And there's many popes who have betrayed our Lord. There are some who have been, remained faithful to him. But the criteria of the papacy and the objective holiness of the office is not contingent upon the subjective holiness of the man. Mm. Otherwise, Jesus never would have chosen Peter. He right. wouldn't have chose anybody. Right. Even John. He would have chose Mary. He didn't choose Mary. And so we have to, as Balthazar says elsewhere, make a salutary relativization of the hierarchy. we got to locate it in the right place within the life of the church. And that means understand the Petrine within the larger holistic vision of the church, which is Mary. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to look for a quote here real quick, but do you have any final comments on that? I think that's absolutely right. And one of the lines that you would hammer us in class is
1: uh, the church would look more like the church if she looked more like Mary. If she looked more feminine. And I just love that. I often repeat that line as well in, in homilies and different places of like, if we really want to live in the church and like the church and be the church and see the church, then we have to live the church with that feminine posture. Live in the church, you know, a total receptivity from the Lord. I am creature, God is creator. And that's where we stand. We stand in that posture to say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know where you're taking the church, but I trust you. I trust your divine providence that from the beginning of time, you knew you chose Francis to be Pope, and you had picked this, and you had chosen this, and you knew this would cause chaos and and confusion, but we trust that you're still guiding us.
0: Okay, so this is what's interesting about this. love what you just said, and this is. I am going to wrap this up. We're kind of pulling this to the end here now. A lot of the people who are caught up in deep, deep anxiety around Francis— are women faithful women in the church? They're un- they're deeply unsettled. This is this is not a short primer for unsettled laymen. This is a short primer for unsettled lay women right now is what sure. what this podcast is. And I think the reason that our women are particularly unsettled by the Francis Pontificate is because they're finding themselves in the power struggle of a masculinized, technological, and modern age. Hmm. That's the age we live in. And they're searching for the Marian, and we have to put her back at the heart of the church. We have to, we have to point to Mary, and we have to think about Mary more deeply. Yep. That's why everybody needs to buy a bride-adorned Mary Church <laughs> Paracresis in modern Catholic theology and give it You're to all their so friends. That was, that was shameless. Shameless plug. Here's a Balthazar line. He has this chapter called Mary Church Office. Someone who disregards the place of Mary in the history of salvation, as the church has come to know her in her prayer and contemplation, will pay the price in the long run. He will he will sooner or later land in a feminism that demands the equality which means in practical terms the identification of women and man. So we have to reassert the primacy of the feminine in the church right now. And the Francis we can't look to Pope Francis to do that. Now he's done some great things. He made Mary Mother of the Church a feast day. I'm all about that. I'm very happy he elevated the feast of St Mary Magdalene to a From a memorial to a feast. Yeah. Wonderful. There are many good things that are coming out of this pontificate. We don't need to deny that. But the general spirit is Strickland versus Francis and Supich in there somewhere, and it's, this, it's a world of men, and it's a complicated Game of Thrones-style thing uh, within the hierarchy. And women look for that, and then they go to these exorcist priests who freak them out about mm-hmm. this is kind of the masculine magical way that you're going to fix all your spiritual problems Hmm. and and eclipse all the humanity within it we got to stop doing that Mm -hmm. we got to turn our attention to mary at the heart of the church who is the holiness of the church mary is the subjective holiness she is the immaculateness it does not it is not pope francis's ability to clarify doctrine on airplanes or trust the liberal media or german bishops or hate on americans none of that actually matters in light of the ontological foundations of the church. What really matters is that Mary's immaculate conception allows her to make a total and perfect fiat, which is the, t- which is the surrender that brings God into the world and is the foundation of the church. Mm. And the Catholic act is Mary's fiat basta. Yeah. That's what it means to be Catholic. Mm. And so what is needed is simultaneously... The, we have to draw out the depths of the church in Mary amidst of this kind of masculine, again, Game of Thrones chaos that's happening in the episcopacy right now and say, we're going to make a Marian fiat in the midst of confusion. Mm-hmm. And as Joe Fessio said in that chair, he's like, it could have been a lot worse. Go back to the 4th century when half of the bishops were Arian, were Arian yeah. and they denied the divinity of Christ. Right. There, to study history is not only to cease to be Protestant, it's also to understand what Catholics are and should be. Mm -hmm. So get off the blogs, never listen to Taylor Marshall, read history, study theology, and become Marian. And we get out of the problems. (laughs) How does that sound? I think it
1: sounds great. Can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been bugging me from point one. Okay. 54 minutes. (laughs) But this is... So... uh, I'm trying to still wrap my head around point one of of uh, criticizing obedience, or, or however you said it. Critical obedience. Critical obedience. And what I struggle with, um, so I, I agree with all the points, even that point for the most part, but I have the most problems. But points two through five, love it, 100% agree. Point number one, though, uh, critica- critical obedience. How do we criticize Francis then, or should we? Like, how do we as priests who pray for him every single day at Mass, Francis our Pope, Samuel our Bishop, how can I pray for him every day at mass, and then go out and and uh, like even release this podcast, for instance? Like, how, how do we stand men in the church um, or sons of the church, I should say, daughters of the church, be faithful to the church as as we've talked about, but still be okay with
0: saying Pope Francis is not doing a great job right now? He's muddying the waters. That's a that's a great question and possibly the most important question we've asked today. So it's a great kind of landing pad and and end for our conversation. I'll, I'll just say this personally. When I read this section on critical obedience, I was, uh, re- I, I was resistant to it because I don't want this mm. in my seminary. Hmm. Yeah. I realized that about myself. It was the first, and I was like, damn it, <laughs> because I don't want criticism right. because I'm insecure, yeah. because I'm not confident in Christ, and because I don't have the trust and, I, and my, I think that I have to squash the criticism because i got to kind of assert the will. Um, there's two different ways to think about authority and to think about justice and action, to use power, so to speak. One is to assert power over things and get your will, which I can do now. I can, I can make seminaries do X, Y, Z and assert my power and be above criticism. Or I can say it's really about sourcing our decisions in truth. Am I approaching a man and challenging something because the truth is outside of us and this is the reality? And he's doing the same for me. Mm -hmm. I say all that because I think that if you and I as priests don't take seriously and let people actually be critically obedient to the church in us, Mm -hmm. then they're never going to be able to do it to the Pope in a healthy way. And we're never going to model that. And until I get to this point, I'm not going to be a model. Mm -hmm. So that was my personal conviction was it— I make it personal, and I get angry, and I and I talk smack and slander the Pope, because I don't want this kind of critical obedience in my own life, mm-hmm. as a, as a cleric. Yeah. And until until the clergy start to model that the kind of humility and poverty that says I'm open to this, and this is a this is intrinsically structural to the act of obedience itself, because it's about Christ and not about us. Yeah. Until we do that, I don't I don't think we're going to be able to actually help people to. Uh, appropriate the good in Francis, criticize the bad, but all in all be drawn deeper into Christ. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Do you have anything practically with that? Like when you say
1: criticizing, like do you mean when a seminarian comes up to you and just like, why can't we eat Cheerios in the morning or whatever their dumb rule is that they don't like, right? Why do I I have to be back for night prayer at 9 p.m.? Why do I have to be at curfew at 11 p.m.? Um, why do I have to do these things, you know, and I'm criticizing the ways this this rule is it's It's not good for me, it's not for the common good, therefore I should be able to break it or whatever. like is that the criticism you're talking about, or in what way
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with criticizing a pope is that what good is it going to do? Mm. What good is it going to do? You get together with your friends and you talk smack about, oh, I can't believe you did that to Bishop Strickland. Yeah. I feel bad for Strickland, I do too, yeah. I mean, he's at the bishops conference right now. He is with 250 American bishops, and he was just removed pub- on a not, on an international level, just totally humiliated. Yeah. Does he deserve that? No. Is he is he the victim? No, he's not. I just think get off social media, stop that conversation. I I had uh, okay, I'm going to say this. Like I had dinner with Bo- uh, I almost said Bob Barron, like I know him, Bishop Robert Barron, in Rome. And it was set up because I have this podcast and Bishop Barron could care less about, you know I'm like no name such and such from, where are you from? Denver? Where's that? But I I said, how do we evangelize? He said, you got to get online. That's where the conversation is. Mm -hmm. And I love Bishop Barron and I totally disagree. Get offline. Mm -hmm. Get offline for lay people. The Barons of the world, they can get the conversations going with the Jordan Petersons, but get off Get offline. If you're talking more about Pope Francis and the political kind of machinations within the church right now than you are about Jesus and what's happening in the gospel, you got to think about what kind mm. of community do I have? That's a great insight there. And I, I, so we got to, it, it has to be brutal self honesty. We cannot obsess ourselves over Pope Francis and the last comment he made. And I am the first who fails in this regard. Mm. We can't do it. All the while, we have to have the courage to say, yeah, sometimes we've seen bad popes in the church and this might be one of them. Yeah. And I might think that and I need to be careful about who I say that to and the charity in which I speak and the humility in which I I bear in it mm-hmm. and pray for him. Yeah. So that makes
1: a lot more sense. It's it's the critical obedience there, but then that leads to the, the you know to the final point of just like being in the church, being sons and daughters of the church because it's Marian receptivity. So I love it. Live in the heart of the church, don't fall into the binary
0: uh, follow the church love the church where she is today and just for forty two ninety nine, you can buy it at Amazon.com <laughs> most important book on this topic just joking you're so ridiculous alright Sean you got any shout outs uh, one shout out would be to Denise
1: Siri Hey, uh, who I just saw whom I just saw she is the registrar is that right yep. at the seminary and uh, I was with her what six years or however long she was at the biblical school moved over here so it was good to run into her briefly
0: here at the seminary this seminary would fall apart massively and immediately were it not sustained by the prayers of that woman that's right I mean, I mean that yeah. this is not just I mean talking about the feminine like in this seminary mm-hmm. there are a couple women who have roles that are, you would think oh they're not that important but in my position I'm like these are the ones who hold this place together and Denise is one of them so yeah. I hope she hears this cause yeah. she's wonderful we'll send it to her all right, so Brother Nathaniel from the Servants of Christ Jesus, who is a great student of mine, said, can you give a shout-out to Matthew and Anna Turek? Uh, that he did their wedding, and that he's a friend of theirs. Cool. Maybe he didn't do their wedding because yeah, he's not a priest. priest but. but he was at the wedding. Yeah. Apparently he's friends with them and their podcast listeners. So Matthew and Anna, thanks for listening. That was enough. Let's call it, huh? I love it. This is such a good topic. I love it. This is it. Catholic stuff you should know at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and happy, happy Thanksgiving. Advent. And we will see you next week. See you next week.